are on air for Dover, Colorado's NASCAR Weekend Preview. And uh, this is Thursday night, August the 20th, and we've got a lot of races to cover for tonight before we get to our Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, so during the first half hour, we will preview the ARCA West at Colorado National and then the ARCA East at Dover. And 9 o'clock, we'll get into the preview for the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series and the Xfinity Series at Dover. Uh, the Xfinity Series will have a double header this weekend. And then our next preview, uh, about 9.40, will be for the Cup Series, also a double header at Dover. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off uh, with our fan for racing crew. And I do believe Andy will be here for us that for this episode. Joining me now for tonight's uh, preview segment is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Uh, like you said, a lot of races to cover, a lot of hot topics to cover, a lot of everything to cover this weekend headed into Dover as well as Colorado. Yes, indeed. So uh, let's go ahead and get right into, uh, I'm going to start with the ARCA uh, West race that is going to be out at Colorado National uh, for the ARCA Menard Series West. Uh, And that's going to be really an interesting race because there's been a couple of drivers, Jay, that have pretty much dominated uh, for most of this season. But before we get into that, the Enyos, 150 presented by Napa Auto Parts uh, will be at Colorado National Speedway on Saturday, August the 22nd at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. So I believe that's going to be, what is that? That would be about 6 o'clock Central Time, Uh, and that means 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Or maybe, let me see, Colorado National is actually, I do have that information here. It will be 8 o'clock Eastern time. So uh, that race starts at 8 o'clock Eastern. You can follow along. If you're an NBC Gold Track Pass member, you can follow along live there. And uh, if not, then the delay will be on NBC Sports Network starting at August 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, this is a .375-mile paved oval, uh, one of the short tracks on the schedule, and uh, I think there'll be some bumping and banging. Oh, you know that there will be, and uh, we'll see who it's uh, it's between and who comes out on top. Like you said, kind of a little bit of a battle going on there in the Arkham Menards West. going to be interesting to see who else becomes involved in that, trying to make up and close that gap. That's right. So far, out of six races so far, uh, Jesse Love and Blaine Perkins have kind of gone back and forth uh, in the point standings. And But there's a couple of other drivers that are in the wings just waiting for uh, uh, their opportunity uh, to get into that top two. So uh, this is going to be round seven at the historic uh, short track for the ARCA West. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It certainly is. As you mentioned, Love and Perkins have combined to win five of the first six races. 
the only anomaly being the opener at the bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, which was won by interloper Sam Mayer, as that was a combined event for the Arco Menards Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, also, you'll remember that Perkins swept the Pacific Northwest doubleheader. Uh, that put him within just one point of Jesse Love in that number top spot, in that number one spot. Uh, Jesse Love hasn't uh, finished any worse than fourth in his rookie campaign, uh, except for a late race off course excursion on the road course at Utah that turned a strong run into an 11th place finish. Perkins in his number nine Sunrise Ford uh, hasn't finished worse than fourth either. So uh, third place driver Gracie Trotter could be the spoiler. That's right. If you're looking for somebody there, she definitely fits that bill. A teammate to love with Bill McAnally Racing, Trotter has top five finishes in all four ovals as a rookie. And she rebounded from a fifth place at Washington's Evergreen Speedway to finish runner-up to Perkins at Douglas County Speedway in Oregon. Trotter will look to match Haley Deegan, who took BMR to victory lane at Colorado last year. So that uh, that it would be the defending winner. Uh, Eric's home since Eric Holmes won in 2008. BMR has won seven times at Colorado National. Bob Brucati's Sunrise Ford has won three times in the last seven races at the track. And Perkins, the Sunrise teammate, his teammate Trevor Huddleston has finishes a third and ninth in the last two races there. Now BMR went. One and two in 2016. They went one, two, three in 2017 before Sunrise swept, Sunrise swept the top three spots in 2018. And as we mentioned earlier, Deegan bumped her teammate Krause on the last lap of an overtime finish to steal the win away. And the bullwing, the bullring could produce more fireworks this Saturday. Well, you you mentioned there might be some bumping and banging, and last year we saw it for the victory amongst teammates. So we'll see how that plays out this weekend. We mentioned a couple of teammates that are going to be uh, battling here this weekend as well. Absolutely. Now, the starting field for the Enyos uh, 150 presented by Napa Auto Parts uh, is limited to 20, including, including provisional positions. The first 16, 16 cars in the field will be set by each car's fastest recorded lap in a qualifying session for this race. So that's unusual. We haven't had qualifying in a while. So uh, that should be uh, pretty interesting. Again, we kind of gear back towards some sense of normalcy. So uh, I like to see that. And I know in these lower series that, that a little bit of track time definitely helps these younger drivers. It does. Now, the starting position will be set by each car's fastest recorded lap during the qualifying session. Uh, The pit stops during this event will be for making repairs and adjustments only. No tires or fuel can be changed or added during a pit stop. So the race will be 100 laps or 62.5 miles, and it will be run in just one segment with no brakes. So the maximum tire allotment allowed for this event is eight tires for practice and to begin the race. So there you have it for this series. Now, there's 11 cars on the entry list, Jay. 
Yeah, we talked about the Brucati team, uh, the Sunrise Ford team. Trevor Huddleston in the number six with Bill Sedwick as the crew chief. And then we mentioned Blaine Perkins with Jeff Schrader in the number nine. So those are going to be two that you're obviously going to have to keep your eye on. Then there's uh, in the number 13 is Todd Souza for their own race team, uh, Toyota, with Michael Munoz on top of the pit box. And then Gio Scalzi from uh, BMR, Bill McAnally Racing, uh, will be with uh, the Toyota with John Camilleri as his crew chief. Later, by one point, Jesse Love, actually, yeah, Jesse Love is the one that has it by one point. In the number 19, McAnally Toyota with Kyle Wolsek as the crew chief. And then Bobby Hillis, Bobby Hillis Jr. in his own team with Henry Mann atop the crew box for the number 27. Okay, another Bill McAnally racing driver in the number 50 is Holly Holland. She'll have Harry Nascimento on the uh, pit box. And then in the number 77 is Takuma Koga uh, for Joe Nava, and he'll be driving a Toyota with Jerry Kennan on the pit box. All right, Jack Wood will be back behind the wheel of the number 78 of the Don Wood Toyota with Ty Joyner as his crew chief. And Bridget Burgess in the Sarah Burgess-owned number 88 Toyota. Sarah doing the crew chief there. In the final entrance, we talked entrant, uh, entrance, entry. Uh, we talked about Gracie Trotter in a Bill McAnally number 99 uh, with Roger Bracken as the crew chief of that Toyota. Okay, so uh, it's going to be an interesting race. It's a short track, so that's a good number of drivers to be on that track. And uh, it's go- it, it usually gives some really, really good racing. Uh, it's only 100 laps, 62.5 miles. So who's your pick, Jay, to win this race? Well, you'd obviously have to say it's a toss, a coin toss between Blaine Perkins and Jesse Love. But I'm going to go ahead and let those two sit, and I'm going to take Trevor Huddleston as he tries to close up the gap, teammate to Blaine Perkins. Okay. Uh, I think that's a really good pick. I'm going to pick a Bill McAnally racing car, though, because uh, – uh, oh, I'm sorry, a Sunrise Ford car. I'm going to go with Blaine Perkins. I think he's on a roll, and uh, I'm going to go with uh, him to win this race at uh, Colorado National. Tender for sure. And, again, he needs to make up one point over Jesse Love to take over the point standings. Yes, indeed. So it's going to be, it's going to be uh, very, very uh, intense, I'm sure. Okay, next up we have, um, let's see, we're at 742. Next up we do have the Markham Menard Series East. They are going to be racing uh, this weekend at Dover. So uh, big weekend at Dover with the East and all of the uh, top three for NASCAR all racing this weekend there. Uh, the, the ARCA East will be racing the General Tire 125. It's so good to see them back on the track. It's been a while since we've seen them race. Uh, they'll be racing this Friday, August the 21st, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, if you're a Track Pass Gold member, you'll be able to watch it live streaming uh, on that website. 
And then also MRN will have coverage starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time as well. And then the delayed broadcast will be on NBC Sports Network this Friday, or not this Friday, but next Friday, August the 28th at 3 p.m. Now, this one's a little bit bigger. It's a one-mile paved oval. Uh, and, uh, again, it's been a while since we've seen these guys on track. I know Sam Mayer won the um, uh, ARCA East opener at New Smyrna, and there's only been one other race uh, since then. <laughs> well, and the last time Sam Mayer was at Dover International Speedway, he had a race double victory lane celebration, as it were, in addition to that monster trophy the Wisconsin driver walked away with the East Series Championship trophy. A mayor leads the seasons, the series, now the Arkham Nards East, back to this one-mile high-bank concrete oval Friday for the General Tire 125. It'll be the first race since the series kicked off the return to racing in June and the first time the Arca has raced at Dover. Okay. And here's some things to kind of keep an eye on. Mayer may have been the most recent East Series winner at Dover, but he has plenty of competition for the checkered flag this time around. The 17-year-old nursed an injured right hand and paired with with a substitute driver to record a third-place finish at the Daytona Road Course last weekend, but he's going to have his hands full at the Monster Mile. The veteran NASCAR Cup Series driver David Gilliland is going to step into the number 54 Frontline Enterprises board. He has 23 career starts at Dover across NASCAR's three national series with his best finish in his last time out in 2018 in the Truck Series event when he finished fourth. He'll pair with 15-year-old Taylor Gray, who has had an impressive four top fives in five Arkham Menard Series starts. Now, DGR Crossley was second last year in the Dover race uh, with Taylor's older brother, Tanner. So that should be interesting, having David uh, Gilliland in this race, Jay. It certainly was. I was excited to see that uh, name on there. Now, the team with the most success, though, over the last 10 years at Dover may be Rev Racing. The Drive for Diversity Driver Development Program has gone to victory lane three times since 2011 with three different drivers. Chase Cabray's older brother Colin won in 2015, while Chase has gone back-to-back top tens, including a fifth-place run last year. Chase Cabray and Nick Sanchez will be the two representing Rev Racing on Friday. Sanchez third in points, 13 behind Mirror, and four ahead of Cabray. And let's not forget, though, we got Ty Gibbs. He already has four overall wins this season, including the East last East race at Toledo back in June, and he trails Mayer by just two points in two races in the East Championship. Yeah, that's going to be uh, very interesting. Now, uh, it's also interesting because they'll have a qualifying session in the East as well. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably what's the number of people on that entry list, Jay? Do you know? Uh, on the east side, we actually have 18 drivers on the entry list. Okay, it's a little bit more then. So the starting field for the General Tire 125 is limited to 30, including the provisional positions. So uh, all of the drivers will secure their starting positions based on qualifying. 
the remaining, well, there, are, there are, will not be a remaining four positions. So uh, this event will be run under the 2020 Arkham and Arts Series East Rules, Procedures, Regulations, and Specifications. So the qualifying is obviously the starting position will be set by each car's fastest recorded lap during the qualifying session, and then there's no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once it's started. A maximum of four crew members can service the car, and no tires of fuel can be added outside of the brake. Uh, the general tire 125 is 125 laps for 125 miles, and this one will be run in three segments. The race will have two brakes, the first one at or near lap 35, the second at or near the conclusion of lap 70, and at the conclusion of the break, lap vehicles that elected to pit will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. So behind the lead lap vehicles that elected not to pit in order of running. So they can choose to stay out. Everybody else will line up in the position they were in going in. Uh, the maximum tire allotment, a uh, number of tires allowed in the pit box for use during this race is a total of eight. So, uh, again, a good, it's going to be an interesting uh, event there at Dover this weekend for the Arkham Menard Series East. They're only their third race so far this season. Well, and, and there's several layers as to why this one's going to be so interesting. mentioned a little bit higher car count with 18. Um third race of the year we don't know how many of the e-series is going to be able to get in i know that nascar is working diligently on filling out their schedule to get their uh, proposed 8 to 11 uh, we'll have to see how that plays out but that's got to add some pressure to it and with that extended field we got some other top name drivers uh surprise drivers if you will uh besides david gill and they're in this field absolutely let's go ahead and do the rundown uh, of the cars uh, by number. All right. Start at the top. You got the regular contender Max McLaughlin in the Shigatori number one Toyota. David McCarty on the crew box. And then Glenn Parker will be there with Chase Cabri in that number four Rev Racing Machine owned by Max Siegel. And then teammate Nick Sanchez will be driving that number six car for Rev Racing Toyota, and Steve Parker will be on top of his pit box. And then uh, driving the number 10 is Tommy V. Jr., and Andy Hillenberg Ford, and Dick Dahaney will be the crew chief. The number 11 will be driven by Ed Pompa with Mike Sroof as the crew chief. And then Drew Dollar in that famous number 15 Venturini Toyota with Shannon Roche as the crew chief. Driving the number 17 is Taylor Gray for David Gilliland Racing. Uh, he'll be driving a Ford with Blake Bainbridge on top of the pit box. The famous number 18 driven by Ty Gibbs uh, will be driving that Toyota with Mark McFarlane on top of his pit box. And here's one of the names I like to see back in the series. The number 20 Venturini machine Toyota will be Corey Heim behind the wheel with Billy Venturini being the crew chief. And then we talked about the man of fire, Sam Mayer, in that number 21 GMS Murray Gallagher Chevrolet with Marty Lindley as the crew chief. All right. And the number 25 this week is going to be Mason Diaz. 
for Venturini Motorsports Toyota. Kevin Reed will be his crew chief. And then in the number 41 is uh, Ryan Sieg's younger brother, Kyle Sieg, uh, for uh, Bruce Cook at Chevrolet. Charles Hawkmeyer will be his crew chief. Another Bruce Cook, Chev- uh, this one being a Toyota, sorry, this one a Bruce Cook Toyota uh, will be Parker Retzlav in the number 42 with Sean Samuels as the crew chief. And then we mentioned David Gilland in that number 54, a Bola Mastis Ford with Derek Smith as the crew chief. Joe Graff Jr. will be driving the number 74, another driver that could very well uh, spoil the party for Marie Visconti. And he'll be driving a Ford with Steve Keller on his pit box. And then in the number 87 will be Chuck Buchanan Jr. for his own team driving a Ford with Craig Wood on top of the pit box. The Terry Carroll number 91 will have Justin S. Carroll as the driver in the Toyota with Jim Long as the crew chief. And the final entrance, the number 97, will be Jason Kitzmiller driving the Cody Robaugh Chevrolet with Doug George calling the shots. Okay, this is going to be another one that's going to be uh, kind of tough uh, because, uh, again, it's only the third race of the season. The points are very, very tight right now, just one point between Sam Mayer and Ty Ty Gibbs. Both of them are in this race, as are the Rev Racing drivers. Uh, Nick Sanchez, 12 points back. Chase Cabray, just 16 points back. And rounding out the top five is Parker Retzlaff, all of these guys are in this race. Uh, Parker is 18 points back. Uh, Giovanni Bromanti is 19 points back in sixth. Then, uh, then it kind of jumps up a little bit. Max McLaughlin is in seventh place. He's 25 points out. Justin Carroll in eighth place. He is uh, 30 points back. And uh, Mason Diaz in ninth place is 34 points back. All of those drivers started the first two races of the season, uh, so they're going to be looking to really go after this third race and get as much as they can to gain on these points. In 10th place is Derek Griffin. He's only put in one race so far this season. He is 46 points back. So, uh, again, this is going to be a a battle head-to-head, toe-to-toe. Well, and I noticed there, as you were reading down that, Giovanni Bermani not on the entry list. A little bit surprised uh, with that. I didn't realize yeah. it as we did the rundown. Yeah, I didn't realize it. Yeah, I don't think Darren, Derek Griffith was on there either. So uh, there will definitely be a shakeup in the points as it relates to those two drivers. Um, okay, who are you going to pick in this series, Jay? Well, uh, again, you got two guys that you'd have to think is a coin flip between the two, Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs. So, again, I'm going to try and steer clear of them just for the purpose of uh, picking outside the box. I don't have money riding on this one. So uh, there's a couple others. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna go with David Gilland in the, in the number 54 oh. driving for essentially his own team. <laughs> you took my guy. I was going to take him. But <laughs> since you did take him um, – I'm going to, you know, I think Chase Cabray has a lot of experience this, this track. I'm going to go out there and pick Chase Cabray for this particular win, uh, just based on his experience at this track. And I know he wants to win here. So look out for Chase Cabray uh, this weekend. 
Well, we'll see, we'll see which one of our picks comes uh, closest behind Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs, because I do believe it is going to really come down to a battle in those two. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. But I like to pick some other drivers uh, throughout the season. Okay, we've got a few minutes here. I think we've got time to go over our truck series picks and the uh, points. All right. Uh, I believe, yeah, we got all the truck picks in as it is right now. Uh, let's see. Owen had to kick us off here for Dover. They're only doing one race at Dover. All the other series are doing the double header, but the truck's only one race. Owen took Raphael Lessard, and I, I picked uh, Grant Infinger with the second pick. Sharon caught me off guard. I almost wrote down Ben Rhodes, but she actually picked Brett Moffitt uh, with the <laughs> third pick. Uh, Sam came in with Matt Crafton, followed by James with Christian Eckes. And that left Mike trying to take Enfinger from me, but I wouldn't let him. So he went with Tyler Ankrum. And then Andy closed us out with Zane Smith. So uh, some names that aren't on there could be winners, but uh, definitely some good picks there. I think so. And how are the points looking for the truck series, Jay? All right, the trucks. Again, our tightest battle here. Andy is still the points leader on that one at 45. However, Sam and Sharon are at 37. Owen at 36. James at 35. I'm at 30. And Mike is at 25. So 20 points overall between top to bottom now, that gap. Okay. Okay. So that uh, pretty much uh, uh, finishes that out. And uh, we'll do overall points just a little bit later. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, we'll go ahead and get into the truck series. There's so much here. Um, the truck series is racing the KDI Office Technology 200 at Dover International Speedway this Friday. That's tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, pre-race coverage will be starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, and that will be on Fox Sports 1, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance and total laps of 200, and the uh, first stage will end on lap 45, the second stage on lap 90, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap at or about 200. So uh, we've got a lot to look forward to with this race because this season is winding down, Jay. It is, and we're going to take a look at that right now. If we're going into the re- uh, the end of the regular season, we got four races left. And with repeat winner Sheldon Creed taking that historic victory at the Daytona Road Course, that still leaves five spots open in the postseason as five have been claimed by Truck Series regulars. Those are Brett Moffitt, I'm sorry, uh, these are the five that ha- don't have the wins. Brett Moffitt, Ben Rhodes, Christian Eckes, Tyler Ankrum, and Todd Gillen. Wow, three of those have been picked. Uh, currently occupied mm. those five opens. Now, there was a bit of a shakeup in the playoff outlook following that Daytona road course as Moffitt jumped from eighth to sixth as now being the highest-ranked driver without a win. And a 30th-place finish on the Daytona road course caused Derek Krause to tumble outside the top 10 to the 11th spot replaced by Ankrum in that outlook following his sixth-place result on the road course. 
Now, with 12 races in the books this season, former series champion Johnny Sauter is still below the playoff cut, playoff cut line after a long string of extremely bad luck. Uh, he fell this week from 13th to 14th and is now 67 points back from that final playoff spot. As mentioned, Kraus dropped out of the top 10, now sitting 11th with hopes of making the jump above the cut line before the postseason begin. And another name, Stuart Friesen, has had a bit of a tough season. Like Sauter, is currently sitting in 15th, 87 points behind the cut line. Start at the top here real quick. Tell you Sheldon Creed's got two wins locked in. Grant Infinger also with two. Austin Hill and Zane Smith and Matt Crafton, three drivers that uh, have one victory each. And we mentioned the five that are in the f- six through ten spot uh, on points. In between, we, get, we mentioned Derek Krause in 11th, Tanner Gray and Raphael Lassard, a pair of rookies in 12th and 13th. And they are 45 and 55 points out, respectively. And then you got Johnny Sauter and Stuart Friesen. Again, the list goes on there, but those are the main ones that we're looking at. Maybe able to race away in on points, but you're looking for wins at this point in these final four races. Yes, indeed. And trust me, every one of those guys want to win here at Dover to take some of the pressure off for those next three races after Dover. So uh, it's going to be intense, I think, at Dover International Speedway this weekend for these playoff uh, contenders. Okay, now remember, this is also the second leg of the Triple Truck uh, Challenge at Dover this weekend. Uh, With a win at Daytona International Speedway's road course last weekend, Sheldon Creed took home the first $50,000 bonus in the 2020 edition of the Triple Truck Challenge, now in its second year with the NASCAR Truck Series. Now, the second race in the bonus program takes place Friday evening at Dover, at 5 p.m., as we mentioned earlier. And the third and final race of the challenge will be at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway on August 30th. That's just next week. So Creed is going to be looking to triple up his bonus as uh, a winner this weekend at Dover. Would uh, net him 150 total through the first two races. So uh, that is uh, something all these drivers want to win that bonus money as well as just get the win for the uh, playoff uh, contention. Now this year's rules uh, will copy the same as last year. The drivers will compete for cash prizes. 50,000 bonus for the race winner of any of the three events. If a driver does win two of the three events, they're uh, given an award of an extra 50,000 totaling 150,000. So Sheldon Creed right now is the only driver that would be eligible to earn that. If if uh, he does go on and wins all three events, then he could take home an additional 300000 for a total of $500,000 in prize money. So uh, I think it's interesting that none of us took Creed for this weekend, uh, but he's got the most money at stake in this event for sure. Now, Greg Biffle came out of retirement in 2019 to win the first triple truck challenge event at Texas Motor Speedway for Kyle Busch Motorsports last year. Brett Moffitt won at Iowa Speedway, and Ross Chastain won at Gateway. Those were your three triple truck challenge winners last year. So, uh, again, 
just another incentive to make this uh, a very intense race at Dover. Well, and I'll throw in a side note there, and I don't have the uh, immediate information as far as what team, but I know J.J. Yaley has actually switched his uh, points championship over to the truck series, which does make him eligible for this weekend's uh, triple truck challenge. It uh, it appears that that's solely based on going after that money, um, but we'll have to see how he does in these uh, final four races and try to get into the points uh, if he can. Okay. Now, Friday evening is going to be a battle with Miles the Monster as the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series goes from one wild and crazy track to the other as the trucks transition from Daytona Road Course to the Dover Concrete Mile for Friday's KDI Office Technology 200. Mentioned Sheldon Creed coming off his second win of the season after he uh, won a Daytona Road Course as well as Kentucky and he'll be making his second career start at Dover, where he finished 27th last fall after a crash. Maybe that's why we didn't pick him this weekend. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, Meanwhile, Johnny Sauter is looking to take home the monster, Miles the Monster, one more time as he attempts to get his first win of the season. Now, Sauter has won the past three races at Dover from 2017 to 2019, and desperately needs to visit Victory Lane to get his season back on track. He fell to 14th place on the playoff grid, 67 points behind that cutoff line to make the postseason. The only other previous winner in the field is Sauter's store sport teammate, uh, Matt Crafton, who won here in 2016. Crafton does have a win under his belt already this season now at Kansas, and that win locked him into the playoffs, which was fortuitous, fortuitous as Crafton's current points total would have had him in a precarious position near that bubble to make the postseason on points. Okay. Now, Derek Krause, you mentioned that he fell below the cutoff line uh, this last week at uh, the Daytona Road Course. I do have some post-race audio from him as he goes into uh, this race at Dover on Friday. Again, he drives the number 19 Enyos Toyota uh, for Bill McAnally. Let's hear what uh, Derek Krause has to say. It's 145, so we are going to go ahead and get started here. And we are joined by Derek Krause, driver of the number 19 Ineos Toyota in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series. And we are heading to Dover International Speedway this weekend. Derek, you have some experience on this track. You have uh, one truck start uh, with an eighth place finish. How excited are you to get back to the Monster Mile this weekend? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I know. Uh, we've had a start there last year, so this is one of the very few tracks that I've been to on the circuit so far this year without getting any practice. So we got a little bit of experience, and I feel like that'll help me a lot towards this weekend. Good deal. Well, we're going to open up the floor to, for questions. If you have a question for Derek, go ahead and raise your hand, and we will call on you in the participants' queue there. So uh, we'll give you a few seconds to uh, queue up questions. But uh, while we're waiting for everybody to to raise their hand, Derek, 
Just walk us through. I mean, you're, you're, you're a Sunoco rookie in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series. What have you learned the most this season in your rookie campaign? Uh, just to be patient and feel like learning all these new tracks is definitely different, especially because we aren't getting any practice or, or qualifying. So it's uh, patience and learning on what the truck will do in, in, in traffic and being there at the end of the races. So what what has been the what has been the the most rewarding part of this season so far? Uh, just getting good top ten finishes. Uh, that's been really rewarding. Kansas, we had a really good weekend, and with it being a doubleheader racing on uh, Friday and then Saturday was really rewarding to to finish fifth and then seventh was really cool for our MHR team and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this weekend in Dover, and I feel like uh, we had a pretty good truck. Okay, so, you know, with your previous experience at Dover International Speedway, walk us through a lap there at Dover, and what, what, what does it take to, to really, you know, keep the truck on track and avoid having that concrete monster come up and bite you uh, at high speed as it's wont to do with other, uh, other vehicles? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a... Uh different racetrack it's kind of like a like people say it's like a roller coaster and it's definitely definitely like that just because of how fast it is how much downforce and everything that is on the on your body when you're going through the corners and uh g-forces are crazy it really feels like something's pushing down on your back really hard and it's just a different racetrack something that you never really experience it's just the biggest comparison you can really or the only thing you can really compare it to is just the bigger bristol yeah, so, you know, with no practice and no qualifying, what are you doing to get yourself ready for that physical and mental challenge of, of the Monster Mile? Uh, pretty much the only thing, meaning prepare as much as you want with the watching film and then uh, going on racing or going in the simulator. And I've been able to go on the Toyota simulator, so that's really really helpful and then also eye racing and just watching film that's the only thing you can really do to prepare and once you're on the racetrack I feel like uh, you gotta just go out there and take everything you learn and put it to use. We're going to open up the floor for questions. We have Chris Knight. Go ahead with your question Chris. Hey Derek, four races to go before the playoffs start. How much pressure are you putting yourself to get yourself uh, secured in a playoff spot? Um, I mean yeah there's a lot of pressure but I feel like if if we do everything we're supposed to do, go and get stage points and get good finishes, I feel like the points will, will take care of itself. And if we're in, we're we're in. If we're not, we're not. But I feel like this year we've had a lot of good runs, and I feel like we've proved that we can we can uh, compete with these guys. And how about having that you – know, your team is kind of housed in with the Tory Racing in Mooresville. How has it been able to, for your rookie team, to be able to – bounce some ideas off of uh, Adori knowing that their success in the truck series. Yeah, that is, that's definitely been very helpful for us. We've been able to bounce ideas off of each other and just being there because it's our first season, uh, we can take ideas from them and put it on our truck and they're very helpful. And I feel like all the guys that work on my truck at MHR work really hard on it and they, they're learning quick and they're really good at what they do. Question will come from Dustin Long. Go ahead with the question, Dustin. Thanks, Derek. Uh, a couple questions. Uh, looking ahead to this weekend, the, the choose rule is back. You've had that experience with one race. I'm just curious, what kind of planning or uh, 
extra studying are you doing in preparing for that, or is that as much um, seat of the pants and trying to decide what lane to be in when you have to make that decision? Uh, for me, that really wasn't anything new because we've been I've been doing that for uh, quite a few years in the late model stuff back home in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, they've got to choose choose cone in every single race and. Uh, just kind of looking which lane's shorter and which lane has more of an advantage. Like at Michigan, you saw everyone go to the top, and I believe that the over will probably go to the bottom. So there's definitely a lot more planning, and there's a lot more that goes into the restarts and uh, make sure you pick the right lane. Also, I'm just curious, uh, for somebody of your age, uh, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about this being Jimmy Johnson's last season and just kind of their experiences or kind of watching him. You know, I know obviously you were born in 01 when he was starting racing uh, in the Cup Series. Um, I, I'm curious just kind of what kind of uh, experiences, memories, or, or thoughts about Jimmy Johnson or how he's impacted you either just as a fan or watching him, um, just kind of your perspective uh, from your age group uh, of, of Jimmy Johnson and what he's done in his career. Uh, yeah, I feel like Jimmy's, I mean, he won so many championships in a row. That was really impressive, and I feel like that's someone, as me as a younger driver, can always look up to and just always handle himself and what he does off the track with all the training and everything he does off and on the racetrack. He's really good at what he does, and it's uh, something you can look up to. And I feel like it's really cool on what the Hendrick cars are doing with the 40 or 24 and 48 or 24 and 88 with throwing, doing the throwback schemes too. no qualifying, limited time at the racetrack. What do you do for fun? What do you do for fun throughout the rest of the week? I mean, what what, what are you out there? What do you get the most enjoyment from away from the racetrack? Uh, away from the racetrack, I just like to hang out with my buddies. I feel like uh, that's something I, that takes my mind completely off the racing. And I can just hang out with them guys and have fun, no stress or anything. So that's something that I really enjoy doing when I'm not, not at the racetrack, but I also really enjoy being at the racetrack. Good deal. Well, I'm sure you'll enjoy this weekend at uh, Monster Mile. Good luck, and uh, good luck as you as uh, in the Triple Truck Challenge as well, going for that $50,000 bonus. Take care now. Thanks. All right. That was uh, a pretty cool interview with Derek Krause, and he gave us some really good information there, Jay. Yeah, a couple of things I like there, comparing it to a bigger bigger uh, Bristol uh, was kind of kind of funny. <laughs> And talking about the experience that he's had with that choose cone, I know some drivers have still been kind of playing with that. He was used to that. So I think that kind of plays to his advantage. Uh, the biggest thing would be knowing then at what, what track you're at, what is the preferred line in these uh, trucks, but how to apply that to your strategy when it comes time for it. So uh, got to give him kudos um, as a rookie with a new team, being right there at that 10th, tenth spot for the playoffs uh, again having a very solid season I know he's third in rookie points based on the seasons of Christian Eckes and Zane Smith kind of gets overlooked but he is having a very solid season especially for a new team without a doubt without a doubt now we've got a few minutes here Jay let's go ahead and do the uh, uh, Xfinity series picks and points All right, and I think I got all the Xfinity Series picks in now, yes. 
Uh, Andy kicked us off, and no surprise here, the top two picks. Uh, Chase Briscoe, or however I typed it in our messenger, I guess it auto-corrected on me or something, but Chase Briscoe, Briscosco, however it's pronounced, <laughs> uh, went first to Andy as our points leader, so that's not good, but uh, Sharon took Austin Sindrick. And now at this point, everybody's been taking the same driver for both races. I think I was the only one to break that, and I'll get to that in a minute. Sam took rookie Harrison Burton. Owen went with Justin Allgaier. James got to pick before me this week. I was messing with him. He actually took Noah Gregson, which was kind of who I was looking at, but he went to James. I did split mine, and I went with Justin Haley in the first race, Daniel Hemrick in the second race. And then Mike, uh, having won last week with Austin Sindrick at that Daytona road course, went with Ross Jastain, and he again went with the same driver for both races. So uh be interesting to see if my strategy works out here. I uh, can't say there was a real hard-given reason why I did it, but just one of those things I thought I'd try, and i got to make up some points. So hopefully it works out for me. Uh Andy is still the points leader here as well at 76 points. I closed that up a little bit. I'm at 62. And then we drop back to Sharon in third at 53. Owen is now at 51. Sam's at 49. James at 46. And Mike at 42. So there again, the middle is kind of a closed. And I pulled away a little bit, kind of separate between Andy as the points leader is still 14 points, but then it's nine back to Sharon in third. So this one's a little bit wider gap at the top, but the rest of us, or the rest of the group, are actually still pretty tight. Yes, indeed. Okay, now we're going to get into the double header races uh, for the Xfinity series. There are actually two events for Xfinity uh, one event on Saturday and another event on Sunday. So we'll start with the Saturday race, uh, the Dryden 200. One, uh, in parentheses, uh, will be at Dover International Speedway at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, I don't think this is correct. I think that the race may start at 12.30, and the pre-race coverage starts at 12. <laughs> They've got it the other way around here, and that, something tells me that's backwards. Um so, but I, what I would do is check your local listings just to be sure of that. The coverage will be on NBC Sports Network, and uh, then you'll also have coverage from the radio and on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Again, 200 miles for 200 laps. Stage one ending on lap 45. Stage two on lap 90. And the last stage, of course, ends the last uh, on the last lap. Um, so the second race taking place on Sunday is the Driving 200 Number Two at Dover International Speedway, Sunday, August the 23rd. Uh, this time, they, I think they've got it right. No, they've got it backwards again. Pre-race coverage. <laughs> Uh, is probably starting at 12 p.m. with race coverage starting at about 1 p.m. So, again, this will be on NBC Sports Network, 
and then radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Again, please check your local listings uh, to make sure you have the right start times uh, for those races. Uh, let me see how they've got it here. The Driving 201, they've got it 12:30 and 1. Yeah. Okay. So just check your local listings just to be sure. Um, they will be racing again 200 miles over 200 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 on lap 90, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200. So two races for the Xfinity Series this weekend at Dover International Speedway. Certainly going to be interesting. I know we've come to like these double headers, and we'll see how that plays into the future as NASCAR moves forward. But Xfinity uh, Series, looking at the 2020 Sunoco Rookie Rookie Watch, uh, Harrison Burton continues to dominate those Rookie of the Year standings, now holding a 183-point lead over teammate Riley Herbst. Burton is the only rookie locked into the playoffs by virtue of a win. He has two on the season coming at Auto Club and Miami. Herbst is a currently 10th place on the playoff look, 81 points ahead of the cutoff. Now, in addition to his two wins, Burton has put together a plethora of points on the strength of nine top fives and 13 top ten finishes in the 19 races so far this season. He had a string of three races in which he finished 25th or worst, coming at Talladega and Pocono, which saw his day end with crashes, and he finished 25th on the Indianapolis road course. But otherwise, he has finished 17th or better in all other races. Now, Herbst has had a pair of top fives, a runner-up finish at Auto Club in Kentucky on the first trip, and 10 10 top 10 results. And Jesse is third in the Snoko Rookie of the Year standings and is looking for his first top five of the season. But he did finish 10th at Pocono for his first career top 10. Okay, now Dover is the great unknown for the Xfinity Series field. Justin Algauer comes to Dover as the only previous winner at the mile-long track in the nation's first state. He also has eight top fives and 11 top ten finishes there. Algauer has three runner-up results in both races last year at Dover um, in the fall race has three runner-up finishes in both races last year, and then, of course, the fall race of 2017. But outside of his performance, the remainder of the field has only combined uh, to put together five top fives, 18 top ten results. Algar has 18 starts at the track, and five additional drivers have 10 or more starts. Uh, those drivers include Ross Chastain with 10, Ryan Sieg with 12, Michael Lynette with 16, Timmy Hill has 16 starts, and Jeremy Clements has 19 starts. After Algauer's 11 top 10s, Sendrick has four top 10s, including a third-place result there last year, and Chase Briscoe has a pair of top 10 finishes at the track, both fifth-place efforts in a pair of uh, 2019 races. While Algauer has run has a win and three runner-up finishes. Annette has the next highest finish in the field at Dover, finishing third in the fall of 2012. Harrison Burton 
I definitely think he's one to watch at Dover. He's had success at the track in the Arkham Menard Series East. He won the race in the series title in 2017 while it was branded the NASCAR Can-Am Pro Series East. Now, with the field set by the new metric qualifying and lineup uh, that was announced on Wednesday, Cindric will lead the field to green with uh, Noah Gregson right alongside him on the front row. Brandon Jones starts third, and Burton will be fourth. Algauer rounds out the top five starters for this first race. Well, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with the with the uh, replacement of random draw for qualifying. So, get to take a look at that. Now we're going to take a bounce around that playoff bubble. Uh, drivers on the playoff bubble in the NASCAR Xfinity Series get two chances to bounce into the postseason this weekend as the series heads to the Monster Mile Dover International Speedway for the Saturday-Sunday doubleheader. Austin Sendrick racked up his fifth win of the season last weekend on the Daytona International Speedway road course, which keeps the number of drivers locked into the playoffs with a win at six. For the Xfinity Series, seven races remain in the regular season affording plenty of opportunity for drivers to win their way in in the opportunity to race for the title. Ross Chastain continues to hold on to that seventh spot in the driver's standings as the first driver without a win, Justin Algar right behind him in eighth, and Michael Annette ninth. A contender, Riley Herbst, and then Ryan Sieg flip-flop positions after the Daytona road course, with Herbst now sitting 10th and Sieg in 11th. Brandon Bowne remains the 12th and final driver in the playoff on points, but a win by any driver outside of the current playoff picture would bump him out. Clements has been hanging on to that 13th spot right below the cut line, and Myatt Schneider, another rookie, is in 14th, now just 52 points back from the cut line following the 10th place effort at Daytona on the road course. Alex LeBay overtook Josh Williams for the 15th spot in that playoff look. Oh. Sindrick is now tied with Gregson with the most stage wins of any driver in the series with eight, and his junior motorsports teammate, Justin Algar, has seven. Scroll through here uh, in the chart. I think the only ones we didn't talk about there, kind of in between uh, Harrison Burton. Brandon Jones has a pair of victories. Uh, Justin Haley is up there with one that locks in those top six covered everybody else there. And looking at that cut line, it is 19 and nine is 28 points between Brandon Brown and Jeremy Clements, uh, where we're looking at as far as if they're going to race their win on on points or have to get that victory to slide up. Yes, indeed. Uh, now they're going to be doubling down at Dover International Speedway with the double header, and uh, so they'll have uh, uh, two chances to pick up points this weekend at Dover. And then, of course, the NASCAR Cup Series will be doing the same thing. Uh, they'll be racing Saturday and Sunday as well. So this marks the third time this season that the Xfinity Series is running back-to-back races at the same track on the same weekend. Homestead Miami Speedway was the first track to host the unique schedule adjustment with Harrison Burton winning the first race and Chase Briscoe winning the second. At Kentucky Speedway, uh, that was the second doubleheader this year and uh, for this series, and it was swept 
by Austin Sindrick. The last driver to sweep a pair of series races in a season at the Monster Mile was Kyle Busch, who did it in 2014. Although Christopher Bell did win back-to-back races in the fall of 2018 and the spring of 2019. In all, six different drivers have swept the pair of races in a season at Dover. Robert Presley did it in 1992, Todd Bodine in 93, Randy LaJoy in 96, Carl Edwards in 2011, Joey Logano in 2012 and again in 2013, and then Kyle Busch, as we mentioned earlier, did it in 2014. Now, Justin Algar is hoping that his past success at Dover will vault him to his first victory of the season, which has been trademarked by misfortune. Algauer is the only former series winner at Dover entered in the weekend races. He won there the spring of 2018. So, again, this is going to be an exciting race. Uh, both of these races are going to be exciting as the season is, again, winding down. And these guys are jockeying for those final positions in the uh, playoff spots before moving on to the playoffs this fall. Now, I do have here some post-race audio from Michael Annette from the Xfinity Series. He drives the number one uh, Pilot Flying J Chevrolet. We won't be able to listen to all of his uh, um, uh, preview information here, but uh, let's listen to a little bit here and see what he has to say about racing at Dover this weekend. Michael, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. Good deal. We are joined now by Michael and that driver of the number one pilot Flying J Chevrolet in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And you're heading to uh, Dover this weekend also for a doubleheader. What are you doing to prepare for uh, for that twin bill this weekend at Dover? Uh, same thing I always do. Obviously, um, it, it's a really grueling racetrack and it's not as hot i think uh as temperatures we've seen here lately and definitely the humidity isn't as bad up in dover i feel like but um it is back to back uh i as one of the racetracks i consider physically probably the the toughest we go to i think it's uh you know i, I always say it's tougher uh than bristol just because you're in the corner uh for a lot longer time goes on you for a longer time and just seems like those seams are, are just get more and more brutal uh, every time we go back. So uh, definitely a, a tough race uh, just in itself, but to do it back to back and and uh, a pretty uh, pretty short window. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Uh, I enjoyed Dover. I think statistically in the Xfinity Series is probably my my best racetrack. So to have them back to back is uh, going to be a, hopefully a really good weekend for us. But uh, as far as change anything I do. Um, I, I'm a, a Peloton guy. I, I got a Peloton, so I get my, my cardio in, in the house, uh, from the safety of the teen drivers on their cell phones. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that gets out there on the road, uh, in Mooresville, Mooresville very often. And, and I don't trust myself on a mountain bike. Um, every time I, I get a little brave, I scare myself and realize that uh, the stationary Peloton bike is where I belong. Who's your favorite instructor on the Peloton? 
Oh, this sounds terrible. Um, she really gets on my nerves and it's kind of annoying is that Robin Arzon, but my best workouts come from doing her classes, but sometimes I, I wish I could put it on mute, but um, definitely uh, the, the most sweat I get in is doing the, the Robin classes. She is tough. We are yep. going to open up uh, the floor for questions. If you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to start with Daniel McFadden. Go ahead with your question, Daniel. Hey, Michael. Um, so, as a competitor, what's it been like for the last month and a half trying to catch Austin Sendrick with, with the um, performance he's been putting together? He's going into this weekend trying to win six out of seven races, which is no one's ever done. So what's been the challenge for you guys and your teammates in trying to chase Austin down? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same story as last year, uh, different driver, different drivers. Obviously, uh, he and Chase are the cream of the crop right now. And, um, you know, just what Austin's doing, it's, it, it's admirable. Uh, I mean, um, we've seen him have a lot of speed, and he, he, he makes mistakes uh, late in the races. That's That was kind of his M.O. Uh, when he first started, just a lot of speed and, and then just not being able to put it all together. And, obviously, he's got that figured out now. And, and um, you know, we knew he was going to be tough on road courses, but to see what he's done on the ovals uh, was a little surprising. But, um, you know, it, it's a scary thing when, when guys, when, you know, especially younger guys, win races in, the, in this sport. Um, they all of a sudden realize they, they know how to do it. They get that confidence. And a lot of times that, that confidence and, and putting it together at one time, uh, especially on an oval, um, is huge. And, and once they get that, it's hard to, it's really hard to take it away from them. So, obviously, uh, that's what Austin has going on right now. Um, I think Dover is a place that um, we, we see a lot of guys with speed go there, and it can humble you very quickly. Dover is one of the most humbling tracks we go to, and uh, hopefully that will uh, play into our favor and, and uh, we can get one. Okay, uh, that was uh, Michael Lynette. Uh, some really good information there from him as well about racing at Dover and how physically challenging it is, uh, but how tough it is to uh, beat uh, what uh, Austin Sendrick and Chase Briscoe are doing this year and how much he admires uh, Austin Sendrick's accomplishments. Yeah, it's always great to hear that kind of respect from another competitor uh, that you race out there on the track. But he did allude to the fact that maybe that Dover, again, being one of those tracks that is uh, uh, known as the Monster Mile, uh, humbling a driver. Uh, and he wasn't just pointing out Austin Sindrick in that case. He said any driver. So, you know, Annette does have That's that true. experience and, and driven on it. So it uh, feels a little bit more comfortable. But uh, we'll see how that plays out right now. Obviously, you, you can't argue with them. You know, Sindrick and Briscoe are the class of the field. Uh, as they were kind of part of last year's, even though they didn't get as much recognition with the big three. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jay, let's go ahead and cover the uh, picks for the fantasy group uh, for the two Cup Series races that are taking place this weekend. All right. Uh, Andy started us off on this one with Kevin Harvick, and Sharon followed that up with Denny Hamlin. Uh, coincidentally, you guys had the first two picks in the Xfinity series and went with the top two drivers as far as the Cup Series that have been winning as of late, Kevin Harvick and uh, Denny Hamlin. 
next went uh, Mike, who went with his uh, favorite driver and uh, last race winner there, Chase Elliott. And that left me in kind of a different spot. I wanted to go a couple different ways, but I, this one I went with Martin Truex, and I went with him for both races. Now, Owen picked up uh, Joey Logano, and James, despite the season he's been having, which has still been solid, he went with Kyle Busch for both races. So see how that plays out. And then Sam is left to pick. I haven't uh, I just pulled up my messenger with him. I haven't heard from him yet, but he'll have the final pick here for these two Dover races. Okay. Now uh, the points then for that group. All right, for the Cup Series, I lead this one. There's a finally one Andy isn't leading, and that's me at 104. Andy is second, uh, 90 points, so 14 behind me. Sam has moved into the third spot with 81. Owen's right behind him at 78. And Sharon, you're in fifth at 70. James at 63, and Mike at 62. And if you've been listening all night, that kind of leads to our overall Andy leading two out of the three and second in the other one currently leads the overall points at 211. I haven't quite broke that 200 mark. I'm at 196. Uh, Owen is at 165. I'm sorry, Sam is third at 167. Then Owen in fourth at 165. Sharon is at 160. James at 144. And Mike at 127. Okay, so there's still a chance for me. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I do want to mention a couple of sponsors before we get into the Cup Series uh, review here, or preview, I mean. Ally is the new presenting sponsor of the Monster Monument at Victory Plaza, and the Monster Bridge sweepstakes winner is announced. Now, two of Dover International Speedway's most recognized attractions have new sponsor. Track officials did announce this week. Ally is a leading digital financial services company and the primary sponsor of 11-time Monster Energy Monster Mile winner and seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson will be the presenting sponsor of the Monster Monument at Victory Plaza and the Monster Bridge Suite Complex overlooking Turn 3. Now, to celebrate the sponsorship of the Ally uh, Monster Bridge, uh, a special sweepstakes is conducted earlier this year to grant VIP access to one winner and their guest for Dover's 2021 NASCAR Weekend. Out of thousands of unique entries in the online contest, uh, Madison S. Of Jackson, Michigan, was selected as the winner earlier this month. Now, the prize package includes two seats in the Ally Monster Bridge, two garage and pit passes, two racing electronic scanners and/or fan vision rentals, and a $1,500 travel gift card and a three-night stay at Dover Downs Hotel and Casino. Now, dedicated in 2008, the Monster Monument at Victory Plaza, presented by Ally, stands 46 feet tall and holds a full-scale stock car in the Monster's right hand, which now features the number 48 Ally car driven by Jimmy Johnson. The base of the monument pays tribute to every race winner at Dover International Speedway and features larger dedications to legendary drivers who are recognized for their special accomplishments 
earned on the world's fastest one-mile oval. Now, an opening in 2004, U.S. Today has called the Ally Monster Bridge the best seats in NASCAR. Sitting 29 feet above the entrance to Turn 3, Dover International Speedway's Ally Monster Bridge offers uh, the most exciting seat in sports to NASCAR fans. Several of the 56 seats are autographed by past Dover winners, including Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Matt Kenseth, Mark Martin, Ryan Newman, and Martin Truex Jr. So that was pretty cool news. And then uh, a couple of things that you'll notice when I give the race info is that Drydeen is sponsoring four races at Drover. Uh, the Drydeen Performance Products will sponsor NASCAR Cup Series races and the two Xfinity Series races uh, this weekend uh, for doubleheaders in both of those series. Also, Drydeen is, is the primary sponsor for NASCAR Cup Series driver Corey LaJoy during the entire uh, race weekend. So they have extended uh, their multi-year agreement to host NASCAR Cup races at Dover International Speedway as well. So uh, it's pretty cool to see that happening uh, this weekend. So uh, with that, let me go ahead and give the stats of these two races that are taking place. Uh, that includes on the NASCAR Cup Series Drydeen 311, race number one at Dover on Saturday, August the 22nd at uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time with pre-race coverage starting at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, again, 300 miles for three, 311 miles for 311 laps. Stage one ends on lap 70, stage two on lap 185, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 311. The Drydeen 311 number two will be at Dover on Sunday, August the 23rd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time with pre-race coverage starting at 4 and uh, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Again, 300 miles for 311 miles for 311 laps. Stage 1 again ends on lap 70, stage 2 on lap 185, and stage 3 on the last lap, lap 311. So with that, Jay, we're ready to get into it. All right. Some pre-race dignitaries at Dover, two being country music star Matt Stell, as well as actress Maylene Ackerman. Matt Stell is a chart-topping country music star. He'll sing a virtual version of the national anthem prior to the Drydeen 311 NASCAR race, Cup Series race on Sunday the 23rd, the final event of Dover International Speedway's huge six-race, three-day weekend uh, coming up here. Before the Saturday race, the Drydeen 311, actress Maylene Ackerman, star of Netflix's The Sleepover, will serve as the race's, race's grand marshal, giving America's best drivers the command to start their engine. Now, Stell is an Arkansas native, reached the top of the Billboard Country Airplay chart with the 2019 single Prayed For You, multi-week number one platinum certified hit and featured on his Everywhere But On EP, which is also the title of the t his top 15 and a climbing as a current sing single. Uh, Co-written by Stell, Prayed For You, 
has accumulated more than 270 million streams. I'm talking about uh, The Sleepover. It's directed by Trish C., which is also did Pitch Perfect 3, the family adventure comedy streaming on Netflix. Ackerman has also starred in films such as Final Girls, I'll See You in My Dreams, and Rampage, as well as hit TV shows such as Entourage and Billions. Okay, now I'll cover a couple of milestones here as far as uh, the drivers and the OEMs. Uh, Now, Ford Motor Company has reached 699 Cup Series victories with a win this weekend. Uh, Ford can reach the 700-win milestone. Ford's 699 wins is second only to Chevrolet, who has 790. Toyota has 149 wins, sixth most of all time. And with a victory this weekend, uh, the that manufacturer, Toyota, could reach the 150 wins milestone. So a couple of things to uh, look forward to there. For As far as driver milestones, the Wood Brothers Racing Matt DiBenedetto is making his 200th career Cup Series start this weekend in the Drydeen 311, and that's the first uh, Drydeen 311 on Saturday. DiBenedetto will be the 135th different driver to make 200 or more starts in the Cup Series. Jermaine Racing's Ty Dillon will be making his 150th Cup Series start this weekend in the Dean 311, the first race, on Saturday. And Dillon will become the 173rd different driver to make 150 more starts in the NASCAR Cup Series. All right. Well, we're going to take a look at the top of the board here with Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick. Again, he could lock up the regular season title at Dover. With this weekend's NASCAR Cup Series, doubleheader at Dover International Speedway means double the opportunities for drivers to rack up points. And Stuart Haas's racing's Kevin Harvick, it doubles the chances for him to lock up that regular series championship. Harvick heads to the Monster Mile as the series standing leader with a 118-point advantage over second place Denny Hamlin. To to clinch the NASCAR Cup Series regular season championship, Harvick will either need to be 121 points ahead of second in the series driver standings following the f- first race at Dover or 61 points ahead following the second race. Harvick has made 38 starts at Dover, hosting two wins coming in 2015 and 18, and eight top fives along with 19 top tens. When Harvick wins the regular season championship, he will be awarded an additional 15 bonus playoff points, bringing his current total to 35 from 35 to a whopping 50 as he takes them into the postseason. Okay. Now, next up, we're going to get into uh, the playoff bubble. And with just three races left, two of those races are taking place this weekend. Uh, three races left to clinch a spot in the postseason. So uh, they're running out of time as they buy for those final six playoff transfer spots. A total of 10 drivers have clinched a spot in the postseason based on wins. That's Kevin Harvick with six victories, Denny Hamlin with five, Brad Keselowski with three, Chase Elliott with two, Joey Logano with two, and uh, 
Brian Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon, and Cole Custer all have one victory. Now, how do they, these other drivers, uh, it's possible they can clinch at the next race, sorted by points at Dover. The following 10 drivers have already clinched a top 30 spot in points with a win this weekend. They could clinch a playoff spot on wins. So these guys are in the top 30, but they don't have a win yet. Eric Almarola at 682 points. He's 434 points ahead of uh, the 31st place spot. Kurt Busch at 673 is 425 points ahead. Kyle Busch at 652 points is 402 points ahead. Clint Boyer at 618 points is 370 points ahead of 31st place. Matt DiBenedetto at 596 points is plus 348 points over 31st. William Byron, 577 points is at plus 329 points. And Jimmy Johnson at 552 points is plus 304 points. Eric Jones at 542 points is at plus 294 points. And Tyler Reddick at 520 is plus 272 points ahead of 31st. The final driver here is Christopher Bell with 431 points at plus 183 above 31st place. Now, the next eight drivers are attempting to clinch a spot into the top 30 in driver standings. will need help this weekend to accomplish that feat. But if they do and they win a race, they will clinch a playoff spot. So Daryl Wallace is uh, Daryl Wallace Jr. Uh, again, none of these drivers have wins. So Daryl Wallace Jr. is at 412 points. He's 164 to the good ahead of 31st. Michael McDowell, 403 points, 155 points to the good. Chris Busher at 403 points, exactly the same, 155 points to the good. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 396 points, is 148 points to the good. Ryan Newman at 396 points, exactly the same, is 148 points to the good. At 343 points is John Hunter Nemechek. He's 95 points to the good. Ty Dillon at 342 points, just one point difference, is 94 points to the good. And Matt Kenseth at 327 points is at 79 points ahead of 31st place. So these guys are really going to have to be working hard uh, this weekend to go after that victory. Now, even with a win... Driver Corey LaJoy, uh, who doesn't have a win so far this season, he's 280 points, uh, and that is plus 39 points ahead of 31st. He would not clinch a top 30 spot, so he cannot clinch a playoff berth in the next race. If he can't clinch a top 30 with a win, no winless driver below him in the standings are going to be able to clinch either. So these guys are kind of pretty much out of it at this point. So anybody below Corey LaJoy is is kind of in the same position he's in uh, with not being able to get in even with a win. 
Well, that's going to lead to an action-packed weekend here at Dover as they'll become just the third track in NASCAR Cup Series history to run the doubleheader at the same facility in consecutive days, joining joining Pocono Raceway, which happened in June 27th, 28th of this year, and Michigan Speedway, which did it here on August 8th and 9th. Cup events this weekend at Dover International Speedway will be a mirror image of each other. Both are 311 laps long, which is 311 miles, and each race broken up into the three stages of 70 laps, 115, and then the final stage of 126. The official opening of Dover International Speedway, which was then called Dover Downs International Speedway, was in 1969. And it has since hosted 100 NASCAR Cup Series races, dating back to the inaugural event on July 6, 1969, won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty in a Ford. The 100 races at Dover have produced 42 different pole winners, 37 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads the series in poles at Dover with six, coming in 1969, a 73-sweep. 74, 75, and then in 1981. Roush Fenway Racing's Ryan Newman uh, in 03, 05, 06, and 07, and Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin in 12, 13, 15, and 19 lead all active series drivers in polls at Dover with four each. Hendrick Motorsports' Jimmy Johnson leads the series in wins with at Dover with 11 victories. That included a 2002 sweep, the 2005 playoffs, a sweep in 09, 2010 playoffs, the spring of 12, the 13 playoffs, spring of 14, the spring of 15, and then again the spring of 17. There are nine former Cup Dover winners entered this weekend. Mentioned Johnson with his 11 wins. Kyle Busch has three. Martin Truex has three. Matt Kenseth has three. Mentioned Ryan Newman with two, Kevin Harvick with two, Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, and Kurt Busch all each have one as well. Now, Truex is the most recent winner entered into this weekend, taking the checkered flag at Dover in last year's May race. Now, last season, Chase Elliott won the pole for the first Dover uh, race, which was in May, and then Denny Hamlin won the pole in the second one in October setting a new track record of 166.984 miles per hour for a time of 21.559 seconds. This season, the Cup Dover pole for the Drydeen 311, uh, the first race was decided by the metric qualifying, and Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott, who's coming off his second win of the season last weekend at the Daytona Road Course, will start first, and Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin will complete the front row for Saturday's race starting second and Sharon maybe you can clarify this for the for the second race they're doing the invert correct uh let me check something out here and I'll tell you I hadn't heard anything opposite all the other races have been doing that of inverting the top 20 for that second race but I I hadn't seen anything I've got a feeling it's going to be based it's going to be done with the new metric system Jay it's not going to be an inversion. Well, that's a shame. I kind of like that. Speedway is posted. 40 spots listed. Um, so, 
by the new qualifying procedure, yeah. So every both races will be set by the new qualifying procedure. So uh, there will be no invert for this weekend. Boo. I'm sorry, Jay. <laughs> okay, I do. I mean, I like I like that I like that metric I like that metric, but I thought they were still doing the invert for the second race. Well, I'm looking here at Jay Skis. Maybe you can take another look and just double check me cuz I read it real quick here. But All I right. don't think so. Um, yeah, go ahead and double check me. Okay, you pull up what what we got and here then, for audio. Well, yeah, let me go ahead and play the audio. Uh, I do have William Byron here uh, in the number twenty four Exalta Chevrolet, and we'll get his thoughts about coming into Dover in the double header for the NASCAR Cup Series. Hey, how's it going? Doing really well. How about yourself, Willie? Good. Good. We will go ahead and get started here with William Byron, driver of the number 24 Exalta Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. And William, man, big doubleheader weekend at Dover International Speedway for you. A very important weekend. Uh, walk us through, uh, you know, what's what's going on with you heading into this race weekend uh, as we get ready for that doubleheader. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think Dover is um it's probably one of chad's best tracks obviously working with jimmy in the past i feel like he um he's got a really solid notebook there and i feel like um you know a really clear direction of what he wants to run there so that's always good i think that helps us especially when we don't have practice so um i'm excited for it you know two races two shots at it uh we've done some simulator work this week and um you know i feel like we've done our homework so know the guys are working hard um get down to the final couple races here to try to make the playoffs and um you know so i think we can do that and hopefully we can just have a, a good weekend kind of try to extend that points advantage that we have good deal we are going to open the floor up for questions again if you have a question for william go ahead and raise your hand in the participants queue and we'll call on you we're going to start with jason brown go ahead with your question jason Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's good to see you again, William. You mentioned the playoffs. Obviously, everyone has an eye toward as we wrap up the regular season. How are yeah. you, I guess, trying to maybe, I guess, alleviate some pressure from yourself or try not to be think, thinking about it too much or be overwhelmed? Yeah, I mean, you just got to go out there and race race your race. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the last few weeks, honestly, have been more challenging than, than any other just because, um, you know, you can't let that kind of change your mindset. Um for for the weekend so it's definitely uh definitely just tense times and you gotta gotta try to capitalize on every point and i really don't look at the points or think about the points until the race is over so uh that's kind of our mentality on it to try to just grab as many spots as we can on the racetrack and hopefully that puts us in an advantageous position so yeah i mean i think daytona is probably the only place that i'll be super worried about points um you know but hopefully we can go out of this weekend and have close to a 30 or 40 point advantage, um, which is really going to be the only safe bet. So, uh, so yeah, that's going to be my goal this weekend. Okay, that was William Byron and his thoughts going into this. Uh, definitely looking at those points uh, and trying to get as many points as he can this weekend. So, Jay, what did you find out for us? 
I haven't seen where it specifies either way. Uh, the entry list for the second one doesn't doesn't say uh, either way, so I haven't found anything that confirms it one way or the other. I guess. Jay you have the new qualifying procedures. Saturdays are listed. Same drivers entered include. Yeah, it doesn't really say, does it? So I I assume that they're both going to be done by the uh, new qualifying procedure. I may be wrong, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, not not that I necessarily want to see you be wrong, but I'm going to hold out hope then until I see something <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> I, I hear you. I had a feeling you would feel that way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I, 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 I've got to assume that it's going to be the new point procedure, unless told otherwise, and it doesn't really say there. So that's why I think it's a fair assumption that it's going to be the new points procedure. Yeah, so, well, and they did say that was was the the new rule for all races. So uh, you know, I'd have yeah. to kind of lean towards you as as far as that being that we're not seeing something saying that they invert. Um, that it might be that way. So like I said, I'll still hold on to that little bit of hope. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I wish you all the best with that day. Um, we are at the top of the hour <laughs> and uh, you know that that means it is time for our NASCAR hot topic sound off. Uh, and joining us right now is uh, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show. Hello. And then joining us shortly will be Andy Lasky. At first, he didn't think he was going to be able to make it on tonight's show. And then he came back to me later and said that he would indeed be here, even double-check the time. So I'm looking for uh, Andy to join us here shortly. Um, So since he's not here, Mike, let's go ahead and start with you for the uh, first hot topic. Sure. Um, I saw an interesting statement today from the world of outlaws regarding their, uh, they're going to do what's called uh, hardship points for drivers who miss races due to a positive COVID diagnosis. A little bit too late to do it for the, uh, for the NASCAR, at least the regular season. But going into the playoffs, I think it's to really look into versus. Okay. I think we got a really bad connection, Mike. I think your connection is a little uh, iffy there. Are you hearing the same thing I'm hearing, Jay? Yeah, I didn't know which phone it was coming from. Yeah, it seems like we're getting a lot of interference there. So we didn't catch everything that you said. But let me, in the meantime, uh, bring Andy into the queue here uh, and welcome Andy to the show. We're glad to have you, Andy. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Real good. Uh, and then, Mike, I'm going to go back to you, and let's try this one more time. Okay. How do you hear me now? Very good. Okay. I'll start uh, I'll start over again. Um, I saw an interesting statement from the World of Outlaws today, and they're going to be doing what's the, what they're calling hardship points for drivers who end up missing races due to a positive COVID diagnosis. And I thought that was a really interesting concept and something that could probably be adopted by NASCAR, maybe not for the remainder of the regular season, but definitely for um, And the way this works is if a driver misses a race, 
they're going to be awarded the points that they would have received based on their average finishing position from the races that they had run to that point in the season. Um, just to give you an idea of what that would do to the NASCAR points, Jimmy Johnson currently is sitting 25 points outside of the playoff cutoffs. Um, because he missed that one race in Indianapolis, he got zero points for that. His average finish this season has been 16.2, according to Racing Reference, which put, would put him only four points behind the playoff cutoff if he were to receive those, uh, those uh, hardship points uh, to compensate for the race that he lost. So going into the playoffs, I think this would be an interesting thing for NASCAR to implement to avoid having a driver have their season other, pretty much ended, at least their championship chances for the season ended, uh, just based on a COVID diagnosis through no fault of their own. Okay, Andy, let's get your thoughts to start us off. Yeah, really, really interesting scenario. To be honest, this is not something I'd heard of yet. So uh, I'm hearing this for the first time as we listen to Mike talk about it. Um, I guess my first thought would be mixed mixed feelings as far as that's concerned because while I do understand the fact that, you know, missing a race or races due to a pandemic is of no one's fault, I, I have a bit of a hard time seeing somebody awarded points for a race they're not participating in. So to that point, I kind of like the way NASCAR does it in the sense that a team will be granted a waiver to make them playoff eligible. Obviously they have to win a race, but you know, I think there, I know it's probably going to sound insensitive, but there has to be some penalty for not even participating in the race, you know, but you know, allowing a team to still remain playoff eligible um, like they've historically done in the past, like with Kyle Busch, who I might add went on to win the championship that year despite missing several races, um, it can still be done. And I, I think that, you know, by allowing the playoff waiver, it still affords teams the opportunity to go for a championship. I, 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 I see why they made this implementation and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but I, I do have a little bit of an issue with teams being awarded arbitrary points in which their driver's not even in the race. I mean, I think, I think to some degree it takes away from those who actually are participating, but nonetheless, I don't think it's necessarily a horrific thing and I can certainly see why they could do it. We're in very unprecedented times right now. And if it, if it helps those teams, um, you know, make if it helps them go deep into a postseason and it helps, you know, a team get more exposure and, and it helps them financially, maybe from a sponsor standpoint, then that's certainly a good thing. But it definitely mixed emotions, I guess, is probably the best way I can describe that. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the same lines. I understand that that again you got top drivers that are being taken out for, for whatever the pandemic but that goes with an injury too. And like Andy said, you're going to have somebody that's out there competing that's going to get less points by going out there and racing, and somebody's going to get the average of what they usually finish. You know, I mean, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow as far as that. I understand the, the desire to keep them eligible and, and relative when it wasn't their fault for being held out, Um so it'd be a tough call to make, but I think uh, w- what Andy said of they still remain playoff eligible. In the case of Austin Dillon, he has the win, so that he was locked in, and it's not going to affect him in the playoffs. Jimmy Johnson, on the other hand, 
unfortunately, it did hurt him, move him back in the points. But as Dave Moody likes to say, okay, he missed one race. He had 25 other chances to win a race and lock himself in. Okay, Mike, your uh, follow-up? Well, I, I totally understand not wanting to give points to a driver who doesn't participate in a race. Uh, Kevin Harvick, I believe, is in the position where he can start and park both races this weekend at Dover and then spend the remainder of the regular season at his house sitting on the couch watching the races on TV and still end up clinching the regular season championship. That's a big difference from a driver who wishes to participate but is excluded from competition due to an illness or an injury. The other advantage to this, not just for COVID, um, but giving the drivers an opportunity to preserve their points position at least to some extent, uh, it helps to incentivize drivers to identify if they have an injury. You know, if, if a driver has a concussion, that further incentivizes them to speak up and identify when they have a concussion, and it's not going to be such a catastrophic impact on their season. And especially going into the playoffs, with only three races per round, a driver missing a single race is effectively the end of their playoff chances unless – something, you know, unforeseen happens. You know, every other playoff driver has uh, has a bad race or something along those lines. Um, but we saw in previous seasons where one single bad race, especially later into the playoffs, will completely take a driver out of contention. So giving drivers an avenue to keep their season afloat but still be able to identify when they have a health concern, I think is a viable concept that should be looked at in the future. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I, I still got to stick to my my original thoughts here in the sense that what we're basically saying is a driver could miss multiple races and then kind of just waltz in at the end and win the championship. Like I said, <laughs> to Jay's point as well, you know, it's like part of the risk involved in this whole deal is, is things are going to happen, and unfortunately there have to be a penalty for not racing, you know, and, and I know that sounds harsh to say, but I think that a lot of people would have a really hard time with that. You know, if, if someone misses say half the postseason, but can, can, can somehow come in and still win the championship. And I, I realize there's pros and cons to this, but I, I just think I, I personally struggle with that. And, you know, I, I do understand the standpoint of, you know, maybe this helps, this helps drivers, you know, identify an illness or identify an injury, but that's part of the risk of racing. And sometimes things don't go the way of a team or a driver, but they regroup and they come back the following season. We've seen this in the past and we're probably going to see it again. So I don't know. I I'd rather see, I, I just would have a really hard time with somebody missing several races and still winning a championship versus someone that's out there every single race gritting it out, you know? So it's, I don't know. I mean, I I don't make the rules. We always joke that, you know, when Jay takes over, he'll make the rules and we'll have a say, hopefully. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I would have a tough time with that for sure. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, compare, uh, compare racing to any other sport, let alone a stick and ball sport or whatever, but let's just take football. On average, Tom Brady throws Four, four touchdowns per game. So he can't play in the Super Bowl for whatever reason. Does that team get to start with four touchdowns because that's what Brady would have thrown? I don't think so. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm going to throw my two cents in here too. I I have to agree with both Jay and Andy. I think that uh, uh, we've not had a problem with uh, drivers identifying if they have a concussion. Dale Jr., I think, set the standard and set the bar for that. Uh, We've not had a problem with drivers identifying that they have COVID-19. I do think that uh, these guys hit the nail on the head with with exactly uh, why it's not a good idea to give those average number of points. Uh, because, uh, honestly, uh, if if you were one of those drivers that were behind him, <laughs> uh, it, it probably would uh, not sit well with uh, anybody who's sitting behind him. On the, on the same token, uh, Jimmy Johnson could still miss it by four points, even if you gave him... <laughs> the uh the average points uh, he he's got to put together a better season i think uh than than what he's put together uh to uh be able to be in the playoffs so and there's no guarantee that even if those if you gave him those extra points he he might not make it out of the first round anyway so i i think it's better to do it the way nascar is doing it and uh Keep everybody, uh, you know, I think Jimmy Johnson's not having a problem with it. Uh, Austin Dillon's not having a problem with it. Of course, his situation is different. But I, I even Spencer Davis, uh, I think he was out up for COVID. Uh, I haven't heard any of those drivers complain about the situation the way it is. And to change it for the playoffs, I, you know, I think is not a good idea either. So I, I think NASCAR is doing the right thing and uh, the best thing in the interest of uh, the sport. So, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation here. Uh, I think that the big difference is NASCAR wants all these drivers to participate in races. Obviously, their sponsors wanted to participate in races, and therefore mm-hmm. they incentivize – uh, they incentivize doing so via the point system. But there's a big difference between a driver choosing to not participate in a race. Um, again, if we want to use a football analogy, there's plenty of football teams that sit their starters after maybe the first play of the game uh, because they don't want to injure them going into the playoffs. We don't have that in NASCAR, and I think that's a good thing. But at the same time, there's a big difference between a driver choosing to not participate and being forced to not participate through no fault of their own. And the other big difference with the football analogy, Jay brought up, okay, we got one player, Tom Brady, uh, for his example. Well, the team still plays and the team is still able to participate and, and get points and potentially win the game and advance their season. However, since the point standings and therefore the championship is tied to the driver, having that one individual driver set out, it penalizes not just that driver, but the whole team. And especially once we get into the playoffs effectively eliminates them from, from championship contention, just because that one individual driver missed that race. And I think there can be something done to bridge that gap in order to, once again, we're talking about NASCAR as a team sport, bridge that gap where the team doesn't lose their chance at a championship just because their singular driver was lost for a race. Okay, we'll let that be the last word. Um, let's go on, go on to Andy then for the next topic. Well, I mean, kind of 
slightly alluded to it already with regards to Austin Dillon, but uh, he will be reinstated for Dover this weekend, which I thought was a bit of good news. So just wanted to see what everyone thought about that. Okay, Jay. Well, obviously a good thing, you know, that that it wasn't any long-term effect on him, you know, and he is locked into the playoffs. So uh, he's not going to lose out as far as that, as we mentioned, and being able to return as quickly as possible. Again, you, you know, if you're out of the car, you're losing seat time, uh, just building a, that team chemistry with the team. So good to see him back in the car and happy to see it and, and know that it didn't have any long-term effect on him or his family as well. Okay, Mike? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Good for him. I don't think it was – this is a, a, bit, a very different situation than when Jimmy Johnson was out because Austin Dillon was already locked into the playoffs with a win. So, effectively, it didn't change the season for the three teams. He's mostly mathematically eliminated from uh, regular season points in terms of, uh, of getting points for that top ten in regular season points. So, good for him that he's back racing. Glad to see him back. Hopefully, he's able to continue uh, with his health. The only thing that I'm going to say here is that uh, I think it's interesting that we've had two drivers now, uh, three drivers really, who tested positive <laughs> in, in you know prior to a race uh, to only test negative in the upcoming week. So there's got to be something that's uh, going on with these tests that you've had so many false positives. Uh, with three consecutive drivers uh, testing negative within a week. Uh, I, I think maybe that needs to be looked at. So that's the only comment that I'm going to put into there. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you actually took the words out of my mouth chair, and I was thinking the same thing, that it's, uh, I found it to be uh, intriguing that, and good for these drivers certainly, but intriguing that they've only missed one race, Um you know, I think Johnson said he actually felt fine and had no symptoms. Austin, I think, said had mild symptoms, so he definitely had something going on. Um, and I suppose it's possible that whenever um, the symptoms finally developed and, and the test was confirmed positive, that it, it was late enough in the game where it may have only taken a few more days to generate that uh, negative test. So um, certainly um, – you know, certainly interesting, but like I said, good good in the sense that they only miss one week and they can come back racing and, and, you know, for Austin's sake, yes, he's already in the playoffs, but certainly, you know, gaining as many points as possible is always the name of the game and, and could potentially seed himself uh, better in the playoffs should he win another race or get a stage win. So, obviously, um, the more races you run, the better, and, and it's certainly good to see these guys coming back. Um, one positive thing to note uh, in comparison to other sports, including apparently other forms of motorsports, as we saw um, World of Outlaws is having some kind of an outbreak with this. But, you know, we have seen very, very low cases within the NASCAR garage, which is remarkable given the fact it's been back three months now. So obviously they continue to try to do things right, and hopefully that stays that way for the rest of the year. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, and and I don't know that it's necessarily a, a false positive. Again, we don't know if you if you're not exhibiting the symptoms or when you get checked if they're getting checked when they. And I I don't know a whole lot about this uh, as far as the um, actuality of it, but 
from my understanding, it's a 14-day virus, okay? But if you don't realize it get tested till you're on day 10 when that positive hits, you know, so you're clear in four days, you know, nobody's getting hit or tested immediately on day one where it would take 14 days to get those two negative tests. So I don't know that it's a false positive. Um, clearly, it's at the tail end of it if it is. And, again, I don't know if it's, it has to be but in your system for 14 days. But would uh, if if he didn't get tested, again, if he's not exhibiting the signs or they don't actually do a test for whatever reason. I know NASCAR's protocol is they do some preliminary stuff and a, a test is based off of, right, a test is based off of that. You know, some of the symptoms, again, being a high fever, uh, diarrhea, uh, whatever. So if they aren't reporting or feeling any of those symptoms, because you can have it and not even be aware of it or get checked it's once you go in to get it checked and they say it's positive they don't say you're on day whatever of 14 and again maybe some people it can get in their system and out in three days versus the 14 i don't know that i'm not in the medical profession so um and i do you're know not? that you know nascar i think i think mike compared it to the the deal with the the uh world outlaws kind of lacked on their procedures and i want to say the social distancing uh i hate to say it but isn't as relevant at a dirt track as it is at a, the nascar events nascar has been very good about that you know drivers staying in their motorhomes not doing uh big victory lane celebrations things along that line which i think maybe the dirt tracks have slide by and thus have created a problem possibly coming out of knoxville which is where the world outlaws were Okay, Mike. Now I've really got nothing left to add on this one. You guys pretty much said everything that, that at least I would feel I need to say on it. Okay, Andy, any follow up on your end? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, like like I said, just glad to see these guys coming back as quick as they are, and and hopefully, uh, you know, we don't see much more of this. You know, because going back to our previous topic, you'd hate to see this have issues in the playoffs moving forward but you know like i said this kept the cases down pretty low and and hopefully we keep seeing that okay jay that brings you up next for the next hot topic well i i'm kind of flabbergasted that this wasn't the number one hot topic as we came into the night <laughs> but uh kyle larson has now applied for reinstatement into nascar and Tony Stewart has been rather vocal about what NASCAR should do. And I'm going to leave it at that for uh, for now and let you guys hit on your points first. Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, Andy on this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure this is a huge shock, truthfully. Um, Tony Stewart's been a, a pretty big Kyle Larson supporter for a while now, for a few years. And I didn't think that when Larson got fired from Ganassi and suspended that it would be the last we ever saw of him. So um, none of this comes as a, a huge shock. I think the only thing to figure out is where he fits in the, the picture moving forward. None of us really know that for sure. There's obviously plenty of speculation out there, but um I wouldn't be surprised to see Larson back driving something next year and wouldn't be surprised to see Tony Stewart as the owner at some point in time. So, um, yeah, not a, not a huge shocker by any stretch of the means. And, 
Yeah, you'll definitely see him back before too long, I would imagine. I'm not sure it'll be this year, but you'll probably see him in a car for Daytona. Mike? Yeah, Kyle Larson's a phenomenal talent, probably one of the best talents in race cars, any race car who is not currently driving in the NASCAR Cup Series, save maybe Lewis Hamilton. Um, To have that kind of a talent excluded from the sport is just unnatural. Uh, Tony Stewart, like Andy said, had some very strong words about what NASCAR should do and basically said, we need to reinstate Kyle Larson. If you're interested in seeing what Tony Stewart said, I'm sure the, uh, the, the interview is readily available to your Googling pleasure. But I'm pretty confident that a team owner probably would not be advocating so strongly to have a talented driver like that reinstated to have him go drive for the competition. So Tony didn't necessarily say that he wants Kyle Larson reinstated because Tony wants him to drive one of his cars, but reading between those lines kind of implies that Kyle Larson has a future at Stuart Haas Racing if Kyle Larson is reinstated in NASCAR, which I believe he will. He's he's completed the sensitivity training that NASCAR mandated, um, he's been doing and saying all the right things and, and, you know, all the apology to her and whatever's necessary in order to write the ship as well as, as, as it can be righted. So I'm not sure if there's anything else that can be expected of Kyle Larson in order to merit his reinstatement. So I don't know that there would be any sort of obstacle in his way pending any kind of bureaucratic issues on the NASCAR side. Okay. I hate to bring on everybody's parade here, but here's the thing. And I've said this before. NASCAR has said that they would be open to reinstating Kyle Larson, but he needs to apply for reinstatement. Now, earlier today, Bob Parkris put NASCAR has confirmed that Kyle Larson has requested reinstatement. NASCAR is reviewing the request, and he is currently is still indefinitely suspended. Then later today, he came back with a correction. NASCAR says it has discussed with Larson about being reinstated and the procedures, but Larson has not formally made the request. So that's why he's not reinstated yet. And and that, I think, has been the problem all along. I'm retweeting it now on Twitter uh, just for anybody listening so that you can see the tweet that I'm referring to from Bob Pachris. Kyle Larson has to make the request before NASCAR can reinstate him. And it, the difficulty here for Kyle Larson is that he can't make the request because, number one, he doesn't have a team, and number two, he does not have sponsors. So uh, NASCAR is not going to reinstate him unless he has a team that he's going to, and he has sponsors to go with that. So that's why he's not formally made a request yet. So let's go around for the – Jay, let's get your follow-up for, or your comments first. Okay, well, this throws a little bit different to it from what I've seen, so I was waiting to see here, okay, what you had popped up. Um I, it's on my timeline because I just retweeted it. Yep, I just I just pulled it up. I just pulled it up. Okay, and there again, I don't know what NASCAR standard to be reinstated was, uh, aside from a officially requesting it. I know the uh, sensitivity training was one of the things which right. he did complete because that was the same yep. required by the World Outlaws, which he did. But NASCAR also may have some other things to go along with it. 
Whether or not he has an official team and sponsor, I don't know, will come into play. But what I find funny, and I don't know which one happened first, Kyle Larson's request to be reinstated or Tony Stewart's comment. But I think Tony was a little over the top and out of line, in my opinion. The fact that he made the request, NASCAR said they would be open to it, and they're not saying they won't give it to him. He made the mm-hmm. request, and now they're going to look they at it. They said that from the so, beginning. And, right, and that's where I don't think, you know, Tony was like, whether he came out with his statement first, which case he was out of line because Kyle hadn't even requested it, or the fact that Kyle requested it and it wasn't stamped approved immediately is where I think Tony is a little out of line. They're saying not yet, not that they won't, not that they are going to immediately get out or still work through the process. So I think Tony was a little overzealous there, which we all know Tony can be. But that does really push me to believe, though, that I, I think that he either is the one that's looking to hire Kyle Larson or is going to be a huge component in getting him a ride somewhere, whether it be with his team or not. Um, and I'd obviously like to see him back, and I think NASCAR will bring him back again. What their authority is, he's allowed to race. They're not going to put him in a car. That's still on him. That's still on find, him finding a team, him finding a sponsor. So I don't see, and I don't know what the process is, like I said, what the other requirements or check marks are. But the initial one was he had to request it, and he hadn't. So I think Tony needs to calm down a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's go to Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen the follow-up tweet. I, I'd seen Bob's tweet that said he had actually requested it. So, I, you know, that's news to me. Uh, I'm going back and reading it now. But obviously, um, yeah, I, I'm sure Kyle will get that approval at some point in time. So I guess the only thing I can really say is that it won't be a surprise when he's formally announced as having been reinstated, and it won't be a surprise when he eventually gets a ride. But, you know, silly season, I think, is still to be determined for several teams. And, you know, we probably won't see some a lot of things announced until the playoffs hit, you know, because I think, generally speaking, um, teams tend to wait until, you know, especially if it involves a team that's already in the playoffs, they tend to wait until – elimination time so um you'll probably see some stuff figured out in the next two or three months or so but there's uh i think a lot of moving parts right now and into your point andy i gotta jump in i gotta jump in andy i'm sorry we're coming up to the 10 30 time frame and uh, that means that we will be going off the air however we will continue recording the rest of our conversation here, and we like to just let people who may be listening know that that's going to happen so you don't wonder what's happening that we're going off air mid-sentence. Now, if you've listened to our live broadcast, all you have to do when the podcast becomes available, I I put it out on Twitter, and you just fast-forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through. So I think I got it in, and Andy, you can finish your thoughts there. I'm sorry I had to interrupt. No, that's okay. I I wasn't paying attention to the time either, so thanks for jumping in there. Um, But, yeah, no, I I think that – I just think there's a lot of things that still need to be figured out, but I wouldn't be surprised if if they do get things figured out at some point. And uh, we see him back, you know, to Mike's point. He is a talented driver, and, you know – people are are prone to making mistakes and 
you know, I think the key is if if you can learn from it and, and be a better person on the other side of it, then, you know, there's no reason to think that he won't be welcomed back into the NASCAR fold, you know. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But certainly, you know, he's had a lot of success in his NASCAR career to this point. Well, he's had some success, certainly. And I think that if he gets in the right situation, he can have more. So we'll see what happens. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, I'm not familiar with the reinstatement process, but I would be surprised if having a team willing to hire him as part of it, because that creates kind of a chicken and an egg kind of a scenario. Why would a team hire a driver who's suspended? Why would NASCAR hire a team or uh, reinstate a driver without a team? So I don't, I'd be surprised if having a team willing to hire him as part of the reinstatement process. Um, with that said, uh, I think that Kyle Larson has a, a, has a great chance of getting reinstated. Um, like you said, Sharon, it sounds like it's the, the matter of the formal request that it looks like there's some conflicting information about it. Cause Jenna Fryer also reported that Kyle Larson had requested reinstatement. So maybe there was a kind of a, somebody jumped the gun as far as reporting that either way, that's left, uh, that's left to be seen in, in, in the future here. Either way, I think Kyle Larson uh, has a future in NASCAR and any, once he gets reinstated, because I'm pretty confident that he will, uh, a team would be foolish to pass on him, especially, I, I hate to say it, they probably could get him for a bargain deal right now. He's going to command less of a price tag than he otherwise would if this whole situation didn't happen because he was going to be a free agent at the end of the season anyway. Okay, here's what I think happened. I think Jennifer Fryer had a conversation with uh, Kyle Larson. In Kyle Larson's mind, he may have thought that he had made a request with NASCAR because NASCAR says that they've had a discussion with Larson about being reinstated uh, and what the procedures for that are. But Larson did not formally go through that procedure. So I think it might be just a matter of interpretation and misunderstanding uh, and how it was presented during the conversation that Kyle had with Jenna Fryer. So, you know, and then Bob Pachris reported based on what Jenna Fryer said, and then when he went back to NASCAR and confirmed everything, uh, it was clarified through that conversation. So uh, I think that uh, uh, there is no doubt that, you know, if if uh, Kyle Larson does make that formal request and goes through whatever the process is that or the procedure is that they've identified with him, once he formally goes through that procedure, I don't think there's going to be any question about what he's going to come back in because even after he was let go, uh, NASCAR said if he completed the sensitivity training and and everything, they would welcome him back but he would have to make a formal request before they can do that. And and they've said that from the get-go. So I think it's just a, a misunderstanding. Uh, like I say, Kyle probably thought he made a request, uh, but it, it's a matter of, of you know, <laughs> maybe it was a request was more of a conversation with NASCAR than an actual formal request. So, um I I I do see Kyle Larson coming back. I think he deserves a chance to come back. I hope he gets uh, a good team like Stuart Haas Racing. That it seems to be the obvious choice here. Um, and I hope he gets the sponsors that go along with that. So with that said, we'll move along to Jay's comments. 
Well, like I said, we don't know exactly what all the requirements are, whether or not he officially made that request or whatnot. Obviously, now everybody's saying that it has been, so it is up to NASCAR to to approve it. And, and I think they will, whether there's still certain check marks that need well, to be done. Well, everybody's not or, saying that it has been. They're saying that he has not formally requested. Well, see, and that's where I did the, the two articles, and, I, and now I'd have to find it back, um, saying that he had as of, I believe, today. If that was my understanding. Um, yeah, but did you hear what I just that, said, but... Jay? <laughs> because yeah. what I just said, like I said was that I think it's a misunderstanding. I think that Kyle, maybe when he had the conversation with Jenna Fryer, he probably thought he'd made the request because he'd had the conversation with NASCAR. But NASCAR said they had a conversation with him about being reinstated and what the procedures are for that. But Larson has not formally made that request. So he has not followed whatever the procedures were that were outlined by NASCAR. So in the conversation with Jenner, I think he probably thought he'd had the conversation and to him that was making the request. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, there's some some confusion or, or misunderstanding there. Exactly. Um, official agreed upon answer is ultimately, I think he will be. Like I said, uh, you know, whether whether it's the written formal or whatever request is made, and any other check marks that are made, I think that he will be reinstated by NASCAR. Uh, whether or not he gets a team and where that ends up is the question in my mind anyway. But I do see it coming out that he is reinstated by NASCAR once all this gets sorted out. Right. He's not been reinstated yet, but I think you're right. I think once he makes that formal request, I think NASCAR will have no problem reinstating him. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. And, uh, Mike, I think we're back to you. Yeah, this kind of dovetails really nicely in the previous discussion about Stuart Haas Racing. Jim Arter reported today that Corey LaJoy will not be returning to the 32 team. Uh, the 32 is associated with Stuart Haas Racing, not necessarily at the level that we've seen with the Gibbs partnerships with, uh, with Furniture Row Racing and with Levine Family Racing. However, there is a partnership there. So it may open the door to a potential Kyle Larson return or if Clint Boyer wants to race again in the 2021 season, potentially the 32 cars, an overflow position for the Stuart Haas Racing team uh, to find a ride, a cup-level ride for one of their drivers, be it Clint Boyer, Kyle Larson, or Chase Bristow for that matter. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, it still seems like there's more names than seats in that equation. Even if that is <laughs> an option, that still leaves two with three names that you've put out there. And, again, we don't know that Kyle Larson is looking to return with Stuart Haas Racing. We've seen some uh, indications that Stuart would like it uh, and all that, but we don't know that for sure. We don't know that Clint Boyer is out either, So, uh, as well as Eric Almarola. Uh, that also is another seat. Again, we feel more confident in Eric's seat, being the sponsorship that he brings with Smithfield, as well as where he's in the points position and been running strength-wise all year. 
uh, you know, goes goes with the rest of silly season that we still have questions. Not getting a whole lot of solid answers, but just more questions. But that one is answered of Corey LeJoy not returning to the seat. Uh, again, these dominoes are starting to slowly fall and little pieces come together. We're waiting for those couple of big pieces. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, it's um, I guess it's not a huge surprise to not see Corey come back to that car. Um, to to Mike's point, um, kind of like what we've seen with Levine Family Racing and and you know Joe Gibbs affiliates in the past, it's possible that um, Go Fast Racing becomes more of a, a true affiliate team. I know they get some support and I think cars from Stuart Haas Racing, but um if they if they do have much of a technical alliance, that team has certainly struggled a lot this year. So um, not really sure to the extent of the support they're getting, but nonetheless, it is an affiliate team. And, you know, you could certainly see that, especially with more backing, become, you know, a satellite car to them, even more so than they currently are. So, you know, again, like what Jay just said, a lot of speculation um, a lot of pieces we don't really know yet. I think um, if you go on Twitter, um, everyone's written Boyer off. <laughs> they've uh, put Kyle Larson in the 14, <laughs> and they've put Chase Briscoe in the 32, but the fact is none of that's been announced. None of it's known. Um, you know, the only thing I do know for sure, and I don't know how many people actually know this, but Briscoe does have a contract with Ford for the 2021 season. So, um, that's a known fact. I've researched it. I can say that with certainty, but whether that's in a cup car or another year in Xfinity, that's probably all to be determined. So, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, to go along with Stewart's comments about his, you know, strong comments about Larson, he had some equally good comments about what Briscoe's done this year. And I think that, uh, Greg Zipadilly has had some strong comments about Briscoe in the past, too. So certainly that's someone they think very highly of and someone I think they intend to keep in their system for quite some time. So um, much like the uh, Christopher Bell situation with Toyota, his Toyota contract is pretty much what put him in the 20-car seat. And um, it could be Briscoe's contract with Ford that puts him in a seat before Larson. So um, a lot of things to be determined and a lot of uh, a lot of things that really haven't been figured out yet. But, you know, certainly a piece of the puzzle in the 32 car becoming available is that could essentially become a, uh, a satellite car for the SHR team. So we'll see what happens. I think, to me, the bigger question is where would Corey LeJoy go? Um, if you look at his stats, he hasn't really put up numbers yet to really warrant a top-tier ride, so you have to wonder where he'd go or what he'd do moving forward. But certainly more dominoes to fall, more pieces, I think, to to fall into place before we totally figure it out for sure. Um, Nonetheless, I think silly season's about to get crazy here, especially once, you know, we know what the playoff field's going to look like and, and once we start seeing teams get eliminated from the playoffs, I think we'll probably learn a lot more in the next two to three months. Okay. I don't really have anything to add here. Mike, your thoughts? Well, they don't call it silly season because it's predictable and straightforward. It's always interesting, and it's a great thing to talk around about this time in the in the, the series season. 
Um, as far as the future for Stuart Haas Racing, it's probably the biggest question mark in the entire NASCAR garage right now between the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. Stuart Haas Racing is in the position that Joe Gibbs Racing has been in for the previous few years where it seems like they've got more talented drivers deserving of a cup ride than they have seats available, kind of like what Jay said. Um, with Briscoe having the contract with Ford, who knows what the stipulation on that is beyond that he needs to be driving a Ford. Um, for Clint Boyer, yeah, Twitter and, and kind of the NASCAR, you know, the chattering heads around NASCAR have all kind of written uh, Clint Boyer off and, and put him into the Fox Sports broadcasting booth for next year. But nothing official has been said. I'm sure we're going to spend plenty of time in future future episodes of the show talking about it, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, uh, again, until a couple more uh, information falls as far as securing certain names to spots, again, it's just going to continue to be speculation. Uh, the only thing we know is LaJoy is not. Uh, that has been confirmed, so we can go with that and throw his name, I guess, into the 48. I know uh, he, he did the whole written letter to Rick Hendrick back at the beginning of the season, I believe mm-hmm. it was. So I guess you got to kind of put his name back into that hat now as well. <laughs> hey, Jay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Andy. Guess guess whose name I saw today associated with the 48 car. I know we're on a on a tangent here, but it's it's your boy Noah Gregson. So I'm sure Mike will be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> no. Yeah, that one's already been. Uh, that's that. <laughs> I mean, that one's been out there already. You had already. to open I, that can of worms. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent at the auction. He can't. He can't afford Noah Gregson wrecking his cars. I know. Uh, I know. I've been in favor of him as a driver. I wouldn't dispute the fact that maybe he's not ready for that top team. Uh, I just don't think he's as bad as some people think. Uh, I believe he's starting outside pole for this uh, upcoming race, based on his current demographic metric stats, and he's starting outside second row or first row. So he must be doing something right. That's and true. did you have any follow-up with regard to the topic way. at hand? <laughs> the no, topic I don't. I, Corey I think, um, no, I, I don't. Um, I'm sure Corey will land somewhere next year, and he's a good kid, you know, and just needs the right opportunity, I think. Uh, but, no, I, I think at this point we just don't know, really don't know anything about what's going to happen. Uh, I, I, can, I don't think that there's – too many people that are anticipating that more than me because it involves my two favorite drivers, actually. So we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, it's it's all yet to be determined. As as we're getting later into the season here and, and it's getting sillier and sillier, more dust is going to get kicked up, and we're truly not going to start settling until after Phoenix at the end of the season. So we're going to have a lot to talk about between then and now. I'm sure we're going to have some official kind of announcements once playoffs start, and certain drivers who don't make the playoff cut may not make the cut for next season, and we start seeing some of those pieces fall into place. But as we're sitting right here in mid-August, we really don't know. Okay. Andy, you happen to have the next topic. Are we putting Noah Gregson to the 48 as that topic? No, that's okay. I just had to. I just had to throw that in there. But uh, actually, it involves uh, a change, which I think is actually a really good one for this weekend, which I, you know, definitely think will help 
hopefully with the cooling is they're actually going to take most of the right side windows out uh, for the races this weekend. So um, I think that's a huge positive change and certainly curious to see what everyone's thoughts were. I think they came out with that, uh, I think yesterday or the day before. Okay, Mike, let's let you go up first on this one. Yeah, I'm, I've, I think I've beaten the driver's safety drum plenty of times regarding this, regarding the heat and whatnot, and I'm really glad to see this change. Um, driver safety with regard to crashing has really been addressed and been addressed very, very well. Um, these cars are extremely safe to be involved in a crash, and it seems like more drivers lately have been going to the hospital for heat-related issues than for crash-related issues. Now, I don't want to see anyone go to, you know, an increase in, in driver hospitalization due to crash injuries, but with the safety of the cars with regard to impact, I think there can be more done uh, with regard to cooling down the inside of the cars and make it a little bit more physiologically safe for the drivers. And even if that comes at a slight expense of the impact safety, I know we talked about last week with the rollover issues and blowover issues of having that side window in or out, um, Dover is a fast track, and there have been cars that have rolled over at Dover, but I don't think it's an aerodynamic issue to the point where there's where we have a significant risk of drivers rolling over. If I were to bet on a reason for a driver hospitalization at Dover, I would definitely bet on a heat issue much quicker than I would bet on any sort of a window-related aerodynamic issue. Okay, Jay? Yeah, I know Andy wasn't here for that one, but uh, we did kind of have a discussion. I was a little surprised to see that today. If on your shorter tracks, your road courses, where that aerodynamic lift issue isn't a problem, I do think they should open it up. Uh, I don't know if that's a permanent change they're going with or if it's you know what they're testing this weekend, Dover being a mile and a half where it's kind of in between where it could come into play. Mike's right. Most of the accidents you've seen there, the couple of rollovers we have, that has to do with the banking of the track and, again, of how they get hit and turned. So uh, not necessarily strictly due to the airlift that is created by that window being open. So I think they are looking at it. Maybe, like I said, this is an experiment thing on a mile track of that line and watching and keeping an eye on it what they do on down the road at mile and a half, such as, say, Atlanta Speedway, Atlanta Motor Speedway, where it's high speed, and you can see a car get lifted um, when it gets sideways. Um, but I do think that they do need to look at opening up that cockpit a little bit and getting a little more air movement in there. Yeah. I, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Michael and Nett when we listened to pre-race interviews to them tonight. Uh, that said that the weather is actually pretty decent this weekend at Dover, uh, and he felt like it was cooler, not so much humidity, not so much heat, uh, that it's probably not even going to be an issue this weekend. But if they're going to test it uh, at a track, this is a good track for them to do that at, uh, with the, with the, taking the window out on the passenger side there. Um but I agree with Jay. I think if you're going to the bigger tracks where aerodynamics are an issue, you've got to look for a different solution for those types of tracks. So um, uh, hopefully the guys will get a little bit of a reprieve this week, uh, and it's not going to be as big of an issue. But so far, uh, based on the comments from that uh, pre-race interview, uh, it seems like the weather looks pretty decent for this weekend. So, Andy, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think it's a good move. Um, I certainly think it's going to help with the cooling process to some degree. This isn't something new that they've done. In fact, uh, up until I think two years ago, the right side window used to be out of the short track and the road course cars on it on any track a mile or less or a road course. And I think they still do that with the Xfinity series cars. So this um, really isn't something new. Hopefully they'll start doing it everywhere, except for maybe like a super speedway. Um, You know, I I just think that, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to help with the cooling process. I don't know to what degree, but anytime you can get airflow in the car, it's a good thing. So, um, definitely a, a step in the right direction, and and uh, hopefully we see this um, make some kind of a positive effect. Okay, Mike, your follow up. Really, it comes down to risk management, right? So, you know, you, we've got a sliding scale of least risky to most risky. The, the least risky option, we don't race the cars. That that's not the the best option when we're trying to actually have a race. So we need to balance the risk versus what we're going to get out of it. The risk of a rollover and a driver being injured in a rollover crash seems to be significantly less than it was when the side window mandate came down and they started mandating these side windows in the majority of the tracks, with the exception of the short tracks. Uh, As the risk seems to have dropped for rollover injuries, the risk for heat injuries has increased significantly. We saw Ty Majeski have to be hospitalized after the Daytona race, and several other drivers. We also have to saw Ryan Newman go to the hospital from Daytona this year. <laughs> also true, but he had a side window in the car as well. So I'm not saying that it's going to completely eliminate the risk, but um, with as safe as the cars are for rollover protection and other crash protection the risk of a heat injury seems like it's significantly higher right now than an impact kind of an injury. So maybe we need to look into accepting a little bit more of a risk for a rollover type crash in the interest of general driver safety, because we've had a lot more drivers have to receive uh, either intravenous fluids or some other sort of medical care after a race versus thankfully, I I don't want to see a driver hurt ever. And we really haven't seen a driver be injured in rollover crashes with or without a side window. So I I applaud NASCAR for taking steps to try and and find ways to keep these drivers cool and reduce the risk of heat-related injuries during these races. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I agree right there that they are looking at it, again, of where they draw that line of when it becomes a safety issue of the car getting airborne. Uh, even though the car is more solid, as we saw with Ryan Newman's crash, that they're safe in the car. But you also don't want to push that envelope and go, okay, we're going to let them get airborne now because they're more solid. Um, I think there's several other avenues they can look at of installing some type of better cooling system we've talked about. Uh, you know, the, uh, Jimmy Johnson had the cool suit, which I know is an option, whether or not teams want to take advantage of it. And that's one that maybe NASCAR has to get in and say, hey, you will have this um, type deal, save a driver from themselves. For the drivers that say, oh, it's less weight or it's too bulky, I can do without, you know, it goes back to the Hans device. And, and Tony Stewart's my, a name comes back to mind. He's one that kind of uh, rebuked that, but you got to protect the drivers from themselves sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I I think that there are other alternatives. I'm not so stuck in it has to be that window that pops out that is the only option. There are so many other options that they can look at. 
that can still keep the driver safe and not add any kind of a risk. So I think that NASCAR, I trust that NASCAR is going to be looking at other options uh, based on the type of track that they're going to be racing at. So that's just my thought. Andy? Uh, Yeah, no real follow-up to this one. I don't think I'm good. Okay. Uh, Let's see, what time are we at? I guess we're close enough to the top of the hour that uh, we should probably go ahead and start our roundtable conversation. Mike, we'll start with you with that. Yeah, Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Um, I'm going to be in in the chat room for at least some of the races this weekend. The uh, the car engine swap project did not go as last weekend, so I might end up spending more time underneath the uh, underneath the race car working on it than I uh, than I was hoping to this weekend. But I'll see if I can be in the in the chat rooms. So look for me there. All right, uh, Andy. Yeah, for me, Alasky fourteen on Twitter, and um, I don't believe I'll be around for the truck series race tomorrow, but I'm hopeful to be around for the other four. So. Yeah, huge weekend of racing, obviously, uh, five races this weekend at Dover, and if the weather cooperates, it'll be uh, two very, actually three very busy days of it, so looking forward to it, looking forward to hopefully catching most of it, or as much as I can, certainly, and, uh, you know, I think that this weekend is incredibly pivotal um, toward people's playoff chances, a lot of points on the line, and I think if you can come out of this weekend in good shape, it puts you in a really good spot for next weekend. So definitely a very important weekend, considering it's a doubleheader. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me, uh, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'll have to wait and see uh, how Sunday rolls out. I know Friday and Saturday I probably won't be in the chat room. It's been tough for me to get in there. Um, I'll be down at Jackson Motor Speedway or Capital City Raceway adding some races schedule as they go into kind of a little, they're calling a Super Bowl plan as far as their races. So be down there announcing on Saturday. All right. I am Fan for Racing Sites on Twitter, Fan for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including fanforacing.com, uh, where we post our articles. Um, I I think I'm going to be getting something from Owen for the uh, power ranking this week, Uh, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll have some other stuff to put up there on BanforRacing.com as well. Uh, And uh, I want to do a shout-out to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of you uh, for taking time to hear what it is we have to say here. And uh, uh, just a little reminder again, we do have a chat room uh, available at fanforracing.com. It's in a new location. Uh, it is now on the bottom, near the bottom, uh, of the left side of the page, uh, the front page at fanforracing.com. Uh, you'll see that there are four chat rooms, uh, the regular fanforacing chat room, uh, the race review chat room, the preview chat room, and then the race day chat room. So uh, that is at the bottom of that list, again, on the left side now uh, for all of our followers. Um, And then uh, I am uh, definitely looking forward to the racing this weekend. Uh, This is a big, big weekend because we've been saying three and four races left. Well, two of those races are happening this weekend. So the end of the season is uh, coming very quickly 
and uh, this is going to be a big points weekend for everybody, and and uh, I think it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, and when ha- when do we normally say that about Dover? But I think all of these races are going to be really exciting at Dover this weekend, and I hope people do too tune tune in uh, for each and every one of them. And I, I'll try to be in the chat room as much as possible this weekend. So, um, uh, again, uh, I think we've pretty much covered it, guys. And uh, I appreciate all of you for being a part of our Fan for Racing crew and all that you do as well. And, Jay, for what you do with our fantasy group, uh, it's very much appreciated. Uh, everybody, I think we'll call that a wrap now and say good night. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, all.